Welcome to the Plugged In Show. We are excited that you're joining us today for the premiere episode of our new podcast. We're looking forward to diving into the world of pop culture, entertainment, technology, and everything that's affecting your family today. And we hope to have some terrific conversations with each other and inviting you to be a participant in those. But before I go too much farther, I'm going to invite each member of our team to introduce him or herself. And I'm going to do so with a little question. In about a minute or so, tell us who you are, and then I want you to tell me one influence from popular culture growing up that influenced you as a child with, I'm sorry, Paul, this one caveat, um, Star Wars is off the table because it's too easy. Curses. So, Paul, Paul, since I'm already talking to you, why don't you get us started? Okay. My name is Paul AC. I'm one of the reviewers here at Plugged In. Um, I'm going to have to go with James Bond. Yeah. This is this is already a controversial choice right out of the gate. But <laughs> so yeah. every woman hates you, <laughs> right? But which when, James Bond? <laughs> when I was a kid, I would watch these James Bond movies on TV. They were edited for TV, so it was Sean Connery and Roger Moore. But I kind of figured, you know, it, I figured that this was a guy who, if I was ever ever going to get a date, I needed to replicate in some way. Sean Connery How'd or that Roger work out Moore? For you? Yeah, I never got a date, mm. but mm. it was. It was one of those things where, you know, I wasn't going to be a captain of a football team, so I needed to up my suave level. I needed to <laughs> – I didn't have money for a tux, but I I tried to do my best. <laughs> and you went out and bought an Aston Martin. Yeah. <laughs> right? At, at nine, yes. It was great with, a, with an injector seat. It was fantastic. Cool. So, All right. So we've heard a couple of other voices. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, Bob, why don't we go with you? I'm Bob Hoos. I'm just another one of the team members, another cog in the machine. Uh, I think in terms of, uh, of course, I'm old, too. I'm an old fellow. <laughs> Have so, you had your Geritol so, yet today? Yeah. So when you, when you hearken back to what influenced me as a kid, I actually really, as a kid, really got into mm. old movies. So they were old for me back when I was a kid. And so there's old movies like Bing Crosby movies. Ooh, that is oh. old. And Bing Cro- I mean, p- most people listening go, Bing what? What? You know, and uh, and so, but I loved Bing Crosby. I loved all his movies. He was just, you know, you're talking about James Bond being this influential character. Yeah. Bing, for me, was this this sort of easygoing everyman. Everybody loved him, and he sang. And I and I liked that very much. So that was part of my influence. That's why you sing so much today. That's right. That's right. Every other day. I often wish you would stop singing because it's, it's a huge Ba-ba-ba-ba. distraction at work. So. <laughs> Kristen? Okay, I'm Kristen Smith, uh, another team member here. Um, okay, so I'm not as old as the rest of the guys here, but <laughs> I will say um, I think music probably had more of an influence on me than than TV. But if we're going to stick with TV and movies and stuff. No, it can be any uh, any anything. pop culture. Do anything. Okay. Yeah, well, music-wise, I listened to a lot of John Mayer. May or may not have had a couple posters in my room as a teenager. No big deal. Can neither confirm nor deny. Cannot confirm or deny that. And as far as movies go, I was a Disney fanatic. So to this day, one of my favorite things is I know all the Disney songs. Like, a, like two seconds in, I can tell you what it is. All the words... It, it was it was pretty impactful. There wasn't any one specific like movie though. I don't think. Hmm. No, interesting. Yeah. All right. So, which princess was you? Were you? Oh, Ooh, honestly, I prefer question. the newer ones. Like, I really like like Tangled is pretty awesome. All right. I oh, like yeah. the feisty, like Brave. You know. Right. Well, like let's save that because we'll yeah. circle back to that yeah. maybe here in a few minutes. Oh yeah, Jonathan, tell us about your relationship with Plugged In. 
Oh man, I'm Jonathan McKee. I'm also just one of the team members here. Uh, the only one representing out of California, though. And uh, <laughs> we won't hold that I'm against you too to much. Be here. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Too much information already. Uh, you know what? Um, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw this out. When I was a kid, I'll tell you the show that I wanted to watch, but I wasn't allowed to watch, and I only saw it a couple times at a friend's house. And man, I wanted to be. Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> and, I, and don't ask me which one. Which one, I wanted man? to be both, both of, them, of them, man. Yeah, sure. I had already seen Paul Michael Glazer, you know, in Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof. But, I mean, come on. I wanted to be Starsky and Hutch. I mean, they were so cool, especially when, you know, Starsky jumped across the hood of the car. Or was that Hutch? I'm not sure. But anyway, it's, man, yeah. they were awesome. And I wish I was allowed to see it. Mom, Dad, come on. Why Come didn't you on. Like <laughs> well, because A, it was a bad show, and B, it was totally inappropriate for you. So, your mom and dad <laughs> made the you, right dad. choice, Thank right? You. Right? My parents were so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm Adam Holtz, and I was trying to think back through my vast repertoire of media influences, and I think I'm going to go with Bigfoot. Uh, when I <laughs> when I was um, when I was six years old, 1976, this movie came out called Bigfoot: The Mysterious Monster, and it was sort of a pseudo dramatized documentary thing. And I would like to find the people that made that movie. And well, I'll just stop there. Um, <laughs> but oh, I was just a little kid, and I didn't see the movie. I never saw the movie, but I saw the commercial two or three times. And there's a scene of a, a man and a woman sitting on a couch with a big picture window behind them. And these two huge hairy arms come through the glass and, and grab them. And as a six-year-old, it totally, totally wrecked me. I mean, I, here's how bad it wrecked me. I slept on the floor next to my parents' bed until I was 11. So <laughs> five <concerning>. years, <laughs> I, I didn't sleep. That big, explains a lot. It, it does, really right? Does. Right. And to this day, I don't like sitting with a big glass window behind me because you don't know. You don't know if Bigfoot's going to be. You what Bigfoot know. isn't out there. Now, um, this will come back into play much later in our conversation. But uh, that show is on YouTube now. And I tried to watch it a while back just to sort of exercise the Bigfoot demon and yeah. It still just creeped me out. I just I did. Couldn't... You call your parents and ask if you could. No, see no, I didn't. <laughs> We're... Now, now, do you? Can you not even watch like Harry and the Hendersons? I mean, no, it's know. not that. But these guys will tell you I have a fascination with Bigfoot. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of a love hate thing. I was in, <laughs> I was in. Uh, British Columbia a couple of years ago, we were on the island of Vancouver, and and there was a newspaper article that Bigfoot had been spotted, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I kind of like to see him, but, but I'm kind of windows, kind of still afraid that he might grab me through the window. Anyway, <laughs> so I asked that question as a fun way to sort of get us into the very broad topic that we're going to be talking about in general uh, on the Plugged In Show, and that is the influence of media and technology in our lives. And some of these things make us laugh. Some of them made me scream and cry mm -hmm. as a child. But the reality is that the things that we take in via entertainment, uh, and I'm talking broadly, you know, I'm talking the internet, I'm talking movies, television, video games, books, stories, they influence us. They influence what we think. They influence what we believe. They influence how we behave. They influence what we care about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things happen when we're kids and we don't even realize that that influence is happening. And so 
What we want to do, among other things, is really encourage and equip you as parents to have a sense of what's out there and to give you uh, just some encouragement in terms of engaging intentionally with media and your kids' lives so that you don't feel like, you know, this is just this vast wasteland of junk that you don't know how to navigate, but that you've got some encouragement to get in there and really dig in in this area of our lives together. Um, mm. I hope that we do one other thing, too, with our podcast. Um, we often have incredibly spirited conversations uh, on our team, and we often say, I wish we could just sort of tape those and let people in on the kind of conversations we have. And so the podcast is going to be our attempt to do that. And we may sometimes say things that surprise you or don't even seem like uh, an opinion or a perspective that you would have expected us to have at Plugged In. Um, but I hope that those surprises are, are fun for you and, and keep you engaged as well. Well, parents everywhere will recognize the strains of that song. I have two daughters myself, and if I had a quarter for every time we sang Let It Go in the last several years, <laughs> I wouldn't be here doing this podcast because I'd be retired on a beach somewhere. Uh, Frozen was absolutely a cultural phenomenon in which we fell in love with these two sisters, Anna and Elsa, uh, and got to go on an adventure with them and a talking snowman named Olaf. And, um, and now, of course... Frozen 2 is coming out. And we're going to talk briefly about Frozen 2, but we're going to use that as a, as a jumping off point to talk about Disney princesses in general. Paul Lisi and I recently saw the film. And Paul, can you give us just a 30,000-foot overview of what families can expect going into this one? Yeah, you bet. It's kind of interesting because Disney was famous for their happily ever after endings. In the age of sequels, there's no such thing as a happily ever after at the end of one movie. You've got to have a second one. And so this one involves Anna and Elsa again. Elsa is now proud queen of Arendelle. Um, but she's having some issues. She's starting to hear some voices in her head. She's I hearing, hate when that happens. I know, I know. It really disrupts the day. <laughs> but she hears this voice, and so all of a sudden she also has this, this experience within the, the city of Arendelle where all of a sudden these these spirits, these nature spirits, sort of t start taking control of the city. You know, there's fire that's becoming a problem. The fountains are going crazy. Uh, pavement is torn up. Elsa thinks that the voice and those issues are connected. She feels like she's being called north to this mysterious forest that's been enshrouded in mist for who knows how long. She wants to find the voice. She wants to find the answers to, to what's plaguing Arendelle. And she feels like it has some answers to her own life and her own magical abilities, too. And Anna, being the loving sister that she is, doesn't want her to go alone. She wants to protect her sister. And so she insists on going, and Olaf is coming along and bringing snacks. And yep. magical things happen, right? And magical things happen. For the one peculiar Ooh. person out there who's never seen the first Frozen, uh, what, what are... Uh Elsa's special abilities. She can freeze things. She is she is the ice queen, literally. She has some very interesting magical abilities that she has uh, struggled to control throughout most of her life. We get indications in Frozen Two that they are growing stronger. And so she's she's really interested to know how this came about and she feels like the voice has some answers for her. Mm. 
And, you know, I think the interesting thing here is that we have these two characters uh, who in some ways embody the state of the art with where Disney right. is these days in terms of princesses. And Elsa, especially, uh, without giving too much away, by the end of Frozen 2, she's closer to a goddess than a princess. I mean, the, the magical stuff in play here is powerful. And, and we had a conversation on our team, and that's what I want to lead us into now, it, about just the evolution of Disney princesses, you know, since the 1950s, because this has been a thing for for quite a while now. Um, and, and so let me start here with this part of the conversation. You know, there are lots of fictional characters out there in our culture today, but Disney princesses as a group seem to exhibit a certain kind of appeal for young girls. Why do you think these characters have had such a lasting appeal in our culture? Okay, well, I think, I mean, speaking as a woman, as a young girl, like getting to see these princesses come to life and all their different like habitats and environments and everything so different, you just kind of are drawn into this magical world where you want to be that person. And I don't really think that that's hmm. changed much over time. You know, like who didn't want to be Ariel, like swimming through the water or Pocahontas running through the forest. I, I didn't. Did but... I did these things as a kid. <laughs> probably we good. won't talk about them. Um, well, yeah. And I mean, in a way, they were like superheroes for yes. little, little girls. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, sure. little girls. Because I, 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 I remember my girls when they were young. And you I, have two daughters, Bob? Yes, yeah, who are now not little princesses anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, they're, they're queens now. Um, <laughs> but when they, were, when they were little, you know, they, would, they wanted the dresses or, or something similar. They wanted to wear the little shoes, the, the, the fancy high heels. They wanted, they wanted to pretend yeah. to be, as you were saying, these, yeah. these really heroic girls yeah. that they could look up to. Yeah, and it's interesting. When I go to, to Disneyland or Disney World, I mean, these are huge things. These princesses, you see these little girls running around in these dresses, and they have the, the bibbidi-bobbidi boutiques at, at Disneyland. That's Disney hard to World, say. Where you can actually sit down and become the princess of your dreams if you pay so much money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, there's still this lasting appeal to these princesses, old and new ones. Jonathan? You know, you know, uh, ma'am, you guys are spot on when you talk about role models because, I mean, really that's what it comes down to is you think of this. I mean, I, my, my daughters, when they were young, man, I tell you, it was it was Ariel. It was Belle. I mean, for Halloween costumes, you know, that's what they wanted, you know. And it's funny, as parents, we're always kind of predicting, you know, well, what are good role models? What are, you know, and, you know, you think, well, Belle, she's got her nose poked in a book and she's got a father whose sanity is so-so. Hey, sounds like my daughter. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, the, it's, it, you know, but I think the thing that was tough for me when, like, I saw Frozen, my wife and I saw it in the theater and it wasn't so much, it, it, it's just that I think we're starting to get a lot of post-truth thinking and you think about this post-truth was word of the year from oxford dictionary 2016 and here we've got a song where elsa sings uh it's time to see what i can do to test the limits and break through no right no wrong no rules for me i'm free let it go and man we hear little three-year-olds and five-year-olds singing this song and man as parents i just tell you in a world full of these subtle messages, it's not like we got to boycott Disney or, or ban these films, but in a world full of these subtle lies, we need to be having dialogues 
about explicit truth. So that's one of the really interesting things that I think about Frozen is because you're absolutely right about the song, Jonathan. One of the problems with that song is that it's so good. You know, people can't help singing it, but it's essentially... It's catchy. It's the it's a song of the villain. And at that moment, Elsa is becoming... She's, she's excluding herself from all the people who love her, all the people who can help her. She moves into this, this ice palace literally... When you're talking about sort of this post-truth type of thing, I totally agree with you on the song, but the messages for Frozen, I think, were much more positive and empowering, where it's really talking about this sisterly love and the hope that that brings. And and, and I thought that it was, a, in, in some ways, the heart of the movie, aside from the song, was really redemptive. I think the question, though, is is what do kids walk away getting? Because I remember working with, uh, you know, gang kids back in the 90s, and they loved the movie Boys in the Hood, and they loved some of this stuff. And it was funny, even though the messages of a lot of these films were, you know, gangs don't really pay off. You know, you're going to end up dying at age 23. Kids didn't get that. They were like, did you see the way he was holding that gun? Did you see? You know, it's funny. So sometimes, you know, we hear kids singing. The song sung by the villain, as you're saying, Paul. This is, this is the song they remember, you know, and that message of do what feels right at the moment comes through strong. And, you know, in my opinion, it's not just Disney that's evolving in this new way with mm-hmm. the princesses. I mean, it's, it's the way women, period, are be, being depicted across the board. You, you see more and more and more films where w- women... They're not womanly in the old school uh, definition. They're warrior princesses. Mm. They all have to be, if you've got a, a female hero in a film, she's got to be able to go out and, and kick uh, backside what? just yeah. as much as the guy does, you know? So to be fair, as a kid, I was not one of the girls that wanted to dress up. I hated dresses. My mom had to force me into them. <laughs> um, I can just picture that in my mind. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was all about climbing the trees and doing what the boys did because I was one of seven and all the boys. In, there were only boys in the neighborhood. So I had to like prove that I could climb the trees and play all the sports and do all that stuff to be included. And so that's awesome. I think I, I really love the new depiction of, um, of female characters, especially in this like princess world, because I mean, it's not unromantic to want someone to love you and rescue you because I think you can still want those things, but to say, Hey, I can handle this. And I'm fully capable and I don't need you to do all of this stuff. We can partner together and do that is really exciting. Well, I, I see. I agree. Yeah. But see, I, what we're seeing in our, our culture is that the pendulum is swung so far to one side that there isn't that balance that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. I think, I think a problem can be that we make vulnerability a bad thing. Like if you're vulnerable or if you're going, it's like looked at as a weakness where really vulnerability is a strength. And so we've kind right. of switched that role. Right. Um, I mean, you th- think back to, to one of the earliest uh, Disney princesses, Snow mm-hmm. White. Yeah. Everybody looks at her and says, oh, but she's so passe. She always has to be rescued by mm-hmm. everyone. She's woken up Dressed by the by prince, birds. All that oh, wait, sort of that thing. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> all of them. But the, thing is, the thing is, when you think about Snow White. It was her. It was her very nature that actually transformed everything around her. Mm. Yeah, all, all yeah. The, the the little dwarf characters that came in to to sort of supposedly rescue little yeah. people. They were they were <laughs> truly transformed by 
just the person that she was. Yeah, I think I think the beautiful thing about each of these characters is instead of having one character across the board and all the princesses look the same, is that you can find a little bit of yourself or your your best friend in every single one of them. And so there's not just one pr- princess that fits the mold, but there are so many, and it gives such a broad perspective to to girls everywhere. And they're all strong. I think yeah. that when you look at the when you look at the sort of this this the whole gamut of Disney princesses, you can find strength as you were saying. Yes. Bob in 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 each one of them but they're different types of strength and right. I think that that's that sort of diversity that you see within these characters is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Do you think there was a certain point in Disney's history where we began to really see an evolution away from the more traditional uh, you know sort of Snow White princessy kind of thing to uh, you know what we have with Anna and Elsa uh, today? Paul you said something interesting about that. Yeah, yeah no I, I I would say that that for me the 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 line is really Belle from Beauty mm. and the Beast. And, and the reason why I say that, she, she still feels very much a, a typical Disney princess. She has the beautiful gowns, all that kind of stuff. But she's the very first Disney princess who saves the prince. Yeah. She does it in a very traditional way, mm. but she saves the prince. And I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. And, and really, when we look at the princesses that, that have followed, the Jasmines, the Tianas, you see, you see a little bit more of what we consider to be strong women in 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 these roles. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, you think about Belle, which is a that's a great example. But she was also a person who transformed the character. Yeah. I mean, you say she saved the prince. Well, she she literally transformed him because of who she was. Yeah. Her her right. involvement with him, she didn't go up with a sword to win the, the day. She used all the gifts that she had as a person and and made a difference in this person's life. Yeah, I think well, and the bad guy in that film was this misogynistic, you know, guy who ate four dozen eggs and whose body was covered with hair. I mean, you know, but he was the one who wanted. He was the one. You say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Hey, hey, shh! But you know, I mean, he was the one who wanted her to, you know, rub his toes when he was done hunting for the day. And it was interesting how that message came out of kind of like, hey, you know what? This isn't necessarily how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think it's it's actually kind of exciting because I think you can look at like previous generations as a woman and think. Um, that there's just like one role people joke all the time about like the woman's roles in the kitchen well okay that's fine I'll make food for you but hopefully I don't poison it and <laughs> there's this like oh snap <laughs> bitter much <laughs> there's just this broader idea that like when you look at something like Tangled and Brave that it's not just a love story and I think as a young girl when you have this forced on you that like this love story is the the, the most important thing that's so that can be really damaging because what if you don't fall in love right away? Or what if you don't want to fall in love right away? What if you want to just take your time as opposed to, you know, this, this very like scripted, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be. And so it's, it's kind of fun. Well, I think that, that Disney with each iteration of these princesses, they have given us a kind of cultural distillation of what the ideal sort of portrait of a woman is at any given time. And so I think, uh, I think, Paul, you're right in that Belle was sort of the tipping point and an evolution toward a new understanding of, of what a Disney princess was. And Ariel is in there, too. Ariel also rescues a guy. I think she might have actually been the first one, um, although I'm, I'm not a Disney princess historian. Um, but, but I think it's interesting as we think about the influence of these stories, uh, what I think we want to do as parents is to go into these movies and say, 
what are my kids going to identify with? Right. What is it that's positive? Yeah. And is there anything that they're doing that might be a problematic thing? Because I don't think it's a, a case of, you know, the older ones are bad and the newer ones are good. I think right. it's a case of each of these princesses reflects where we're at culturally. And there are probably good and perhaps not so good values uh, wrapped up in each of those portrayals. But as you said, well, it, it's, it's, it's great. It's great discussion point material. Right. Yeah. Jonathan? Well, and that's, and, and Bob, exactly. And what I hope happens is I hope that when we watch these films with our kids, that we can kind of engage them in meaningful conversation about what this is. And then hopefully, eventually, the book that hopefully they get their nose stuck in is the scripture. And I hope that we can get them to God's word so that they see the truth there, because that's what we need to do. We need to get them back to God's word to talk about what the truth actually is, because everybody else has their theories, but God's word is unchanging. Yeah, and these portrayals of these characters, there's always going to be good and bad. And that's one of the things we do at Plugged In is we try to give, you know, a movie or characters credit for what they get right. right. And we also try to ask questions about, well, in what ways are they deviating from, uh, you know, what we know to be true scripturally? And even with Frozen 2, to, to bring us back to where we started, man, there are some terrific things about these characters. There are mm-hmm. things that I love about the messages about sacrifice and loyalty and perseverance. But, you know, for anybody who sees it, it gets couched in a magical worldview that really has some problems. Has some issues spiritually, for sure. And I think that I think that that's why, as you say, Jonathan, I think it's so important for parents to be really engaged with their kids, what kids are watching and, and, and getting into. It's, it's so important to have those, those conversations with your children. And Paul, you know, that brings up a great point. We know that kids today are spending an enormous amount of time engaged in in screens of all kinds and, and really consuming media, whether it's videos, movies, music, television. Uh, we're living in an almost 24-7 media culture. And for that reason, I'm thankful that there are people out there who are really thinking about this and thinking about its significance for, for our culture, for our kids, for our parenting. And there's a new study out, uh, the 2019 Common Sense Census, which is really hard to say, Media Use by Tweens and Teens. And this is a study that comes out every five years. And I know that Jonathan is pretty familiar with it. So Jonathan, tell us a little bit about kind of the backstory on this and maybe some of the top line findings from this study this time around. Yeah, no, thanks, Adam. It is one of the key studies. As a matter of fact, when you hear anybody else talking about how much time young people spend soaking in entertainment media, they usually will quote this study. Their last one was in 2015. Now this one just came out. And another cool thing about it is it's really comprehensive. I mean, they study not only teenagers age 12 through 18, but they also studied tweens age 8 through 12 and when you add up all the time they're spending soaking in watching YouTube videos, listening to music, um, watching Netflix, on social media, they actually add up all that time and they get a total of here's how much time teenagers spend here's how much time tweens spend and one of the shocking things is that number keeps going up. Hmm. For example, teenagers, the number back in 2015 of total amount of entertainment media time was eight hours and 55 minutes. When you add up everything from screen time to listening to music to even reading books for entertainment, eight hours and 55 minutes a day 
on average. Well, now this 2019 report reveals that that total for teenagers is actually up to nine hours and 49 minutes a day of all entertainment media, of which seven hours and 22 minutes a day is screen time. That's a lot of screen time. And especially in a climate right now where a lot of mental health experts are recommending no more than a few hours a day of digital media use, that's kind of shocking. And we're sitting there going, hmm, is this by chance why we're seeing this uptick in a lot of depression, anxiety, et cetera, when mental health experts are saying, hey, don't let your kids watch more than a couple hours a day. But yet here, this report showing us, yeah, they're, they're at about seven and a half hours a day of screen time, almost 10 hours a day of total entertainment media time. So this is a report worth paying attention to. Well, and, and I think at Plugged In, we spend a lot of time thinking about this. And so I want to kind of unpack the so what here, because I think uh, I'm kind of a nerdy wonk. Uh, and so I want to kind of unpack the so what, you know, because I think for most of us, the statistics are are kind of shocking. Um, but, you know, as we dive a little bit deeper into this, there may be some other concrete things that we can um, kind of think about together. And so uh, each of us has read this report what are some of the things that stood out to you that you feel like parents really need to know about in terms of, you know, the specifics of this study? One thing that stood out to me was that the majority of kids um, by age 11 have uh, have some sort of a smartphone now. Yeah, like and, 53%. And, yeah, yeah, which when you stop and think about that, I mean, the fact is that smartphones haven't been around all that long. But in just a very short period of time, we've gotten to the point where parents are very open and okay with kids having their own smartphone, toting them around by, you know, when they're 10, 11 years old. Well, I think it's almost become something that, that a lot of kids feel like they need to have in order to feel like part of – to feel part of society. You know, I think that yeah. it becomes almost a requirement that they have that, you know – All my friends have phones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jonathan, you and I were having a conversation. My son uh, just turned 13 – and we have held the line, and he has had the all my friends have phones. And I'm like, and if all your friends jumped off a cliff, you know, would you <laughs> jump off a cliff? No, there's an old school. I know, right? <laughs> no. um, and Henry's like, uh, no, but that's stupid. Um, so, I mean, where we're at is we got him a dumb phone, a flip phone, and yeah. he thinks it is a dumb phone because it doesn't work very well. Right. It doesn't do what he wants it to do. And lately he's been like, you know, yesterday he was down after school. I'm like, Henry, what's going on? He's like, well, all of my friends are mocking me because I have a flip phone. And so, Jonathan, you and I had a conversation a while back, but just talking about the reality of how much do we balance? Um, you know, we want to not necessarily be the ones that are just absolutely embracing everything the culture does. But, you know, the validity of the fact that even though we're trying to make good decisions, is it making him a social pariah? And as parents, that's where we're at today is trying to navigate this yeah. crazy world of, you know, yeah, it's not the best argument, but maybe there's some validity to it. Yeah, no, I, I think that there really is. It's 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 a really difficult place that, that I think parents are in right now to, to try to balance this out. I think that, that you're dealing with a lot of societal pressures and you're dealing with a society that embraces screens. We love our screens. And I'm not just talking about 
kids and teens. I mean, I think one of the big problems that we have with screen time is actually the parents are on these screens as much as teens are, you know? And yeah. I think that we set a pretty yeah. bad example for, for the kids in, in our care. Yeah, I mean, I only have a two-year-old uh, and then one on the way, so it kind of freaks so he's, me out. So he's only got one phone. That's right. He only has one phone right now, but <laughs> it kind of freaks me out that he already knows how to scroll. Right. Alexa, where's <laughs> mommy? Exactly. <laughs> but I think, I think instead of having this, like, I don't know, like fear culture about it. Like they're going to ruin our kids. I remember as a teenager, I didn't get a phone until I was 17. And look how you turned out. I know. Just <laughs> the shining example. But um, I think I listened to a ton of music. And what I found interesting in this study is that it kind of combined everything, like you were saying, like music and books and all this stuff. And so when I wasn't doing homework or at school, who's going to be doing homework in their free time? Nobody, nobody. So of course you want to have like the fun thing that brings people together and technology can be unifying. It doesn't have to be isolating. I think as parents, it's probably our job. Like how do we make this something that's, that can be communal instead of, you know, isolating. Kristen, that is so smart because I think the mistake we make sometimes is sometimes when we see a report like this, we tend to freak out yeah. as mom and dad, and we tend to immediately start thinking of the boundaries we need to put on our kids because we, you know, oh man, okay, well, how many hours a day? Okay, what what limits should I have? And we immediately go to boundaries when we need to start thinking about bonding. And what you said is, you know, instead of like if our kids are sitting watching YouTube videos, which the report was very clear that that was yeah. mm. tween's favorite activity. Yeah. It was it teens doubled in the last second. four years, right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah, was absolutely. Incredible. And it was, it was teen's second favorite activity. Instead of walking in and being like, hey, how much time has that been on there? To maybe sit and go, oh, what are you laughing at? Hey, show me. Not like the parole officer saying, show me so I can see if it's appropriate or not. <laughs> but so to just say, hey, you're laughing. Let me join in with you on that. Yeah. And I always encourage parents that, you know, if they're watching Netflix or something like that, maybe join them. Yeah. One of the things, just to bring it almost full circle, is is you think about um, – I, I talked about James Bond being an influence on, on me. One of the things that, that was really special about that is I watched it with my dad. Mm. And I think that sometimes uh. when we look at entertainment, we look at technology, we know that they're a huge influence. But as you say, Jonathan, they can bring people together. You can have community. You can have family time around some of these elements if it's appropriate for the family. But, I, but I, we can't ignore the fact that more and more studies are are pointing to the fact that if, if kids are spending, what, uh, an average of, of six hours a day, then they're three times more more apt to have depression problems and things of that nature, too. We can't throw that away. Now, right. I, I agree. I, I, I agree. agree with Jonathan 100%. It can be a, a bonding tool, yeah. but we can't We can't just say, oh, well, we'll throw it to the wind. We can't use it as it a replacement a, for human interaction. Right. It is truly a balance of bonding and boundaries, and that's what's so hard about this parenting thing is, yeah, on one hand, we want to sit there and you know hang with our kids and talk with our kids, but it's also okay to say, sorry, you're not going to have this thing in your bedroom at night. Or sorry, you're not going to play video games for 12 hours in a row. So we need to have those boundaries as well. Now, that's exactly right. And that's one of the things that we hope going forward from here to help and encourage and equip you with is how do you engage intentionally and wisely in a way that builds relationship, that places appropriate boundaries in place, and that really helps your kids to be able to use all these things wisely. And so as we move forward into the future with the Plugged In Show, we look forward to talking with you about all of these issues that we're going to be dealing with. 
So thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to getting back together with you next week on The Plugin Show. 